This episode is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. For a free trial, go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably. Probably science. Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I'm Andy Wood. Hey Andy. Hello um, there. Th- this was a good week, I think, because this week the tech problems happened before we started recording. Yeah, I've definitely pressed record. So, so that, that's we're, we're already us. ahead of the curve. We're, we're on a winner right now. I think we just get straight into introducing our guest. I agree. Join, joining us from the East Coast, originally from Atlanta. You, you are originally from Atlanta, right? That's where I first met you anyway, I think. Uh, yes, that is true. We met in Atlanta, but I'm actually from about an hour and a half south of Atlanta. Ah, yeah. That's the voice of Mia Jackson. <laughs> hey, Mia. Hey. Yeah, hey. You, you're in New York comic these days if such a thing exists yeah sort of <laughs> <laughs> you're you're zooming in from new york <laughs> no no i'm actually in my secret corner well it's not a secret I'm, I'm in the dc area that's where i am at oh, the moment yeah i've been hanging out here with with the boyfriend so you obviously nice. were at the um, the socially distant um, <laughs> Trump gathering last night to see the fireworks. Clearly. Oh, oh, I just so oh, of course not. <laughs> no, I just I could you know what I I just I couldn't have the TV on. I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I watched all of the Oceans um, Eleven. I watched the whole Oceans series plus the original 1961. Oh, I've never <laughs> seen the original one. Wow. <laughs> Is that yeah, any good? The first one? You know what? This is the thing, because I, I do, I do enjoy some Frank Sinatra. So um, I, I wanted to see it. It, I thought the heist part was pretty cool, but then I was like, oh, this is all kind of anticlimactic. But it was really, it was really cool to see. Like, oh, this is how somebody would have planned a heist in the sixties. <laughs> Which is just what bribe one guy and then start drinking. Like it's just pretty, it's like, no. It, Pretty much, it was a lot of um. Okay, we're gonna call you at this time and wait. <laughs> Synchronize your watches. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's what I did yesterday. Do they have security cameras in the sixties? I they they wouldn't have done right, would they? I, you know what? There, I think there was a scene where there may have been like one. I think, but but most of it just involved like, what if we just shut off the lights and steal? Right then. <laughs> And then, then that's it. But yeah, it was it was, but it was cool though. It was actually a an interesting interesting thing to go. Oh, okay, the Rat Pack and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah it, so it's fun. It would have been so much easier to be a criminal back. So right. many things would have been easier sixty years ago. Right. Being a con man, like when you watch Catch Me If You Can, like all you had to do to say you were a pilot was to say you were a pilot, and then someone's gonna <laughs> yes. let you fly a plane. Like say you're a surgeon, someone's gonna let you cut someone open. Yeah, no one. Yeah. No one can jump on Wikipedia to debunk your facts. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're unlucky enough that there's another pilot in the, in the bar. <laughs> there's a real pilot who's like, that's not what that stick does. Yeah, right. barroom, barroom bullshitters had it so good before the internet. Yeah, everybody just, um, what was it, like one of their plans was like, everybody's going to get a job at the casino. Like, everybody just got Just job. got jobs. <laughs> like, it just... At, at the casino that they wanted and it was no issue and it was just it was just the wildest thing i went is that is that what it takes to infiltrate that's the, like that's yeah. the state of the economy at the time the job market is just like walking. Yeah. that's the bit that stands out the most of like oh yeah that's why that's why people's dads are always telling them to put on a suit and march up to the <laughs> Yes. Just tell the boss that you want to work there. Right. Yeah. That's like how you jobs happen. Walk into these buildings and tell them, and you're like, no. And I, <laughs> and, and see, my mom is in HR, and like back in the day, that's what she used to say. And then as the as things started going more online, she was like, all right, I was wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. <laughs> you can't do that. Don't. In fact, don't do it. <laughs> they really don't like it. Right, don't do it. Yeah, she doesn't want to see people in her office. <laughs> I, that reminds me, Jason Nash. Do you guys know Jason Nash? Yeah. He said a bit about his hatred for that generation and, and like the smugness that he thought. He thought the song My Way was like the epitome of the smugness of that generation. It's like, you're just like this, you're just making this uh, grand history of your 
of your past, but like, yeah, things were easy for you because you, you made a million dollars because you were the first person to think of charging for parking. You know, it's like that's when the world was just like the world was untapped economic possibility because no one had just thought of these like dumb things. Like, yeah, you're so great. You just, oh. just came around the right time. Uh, there's a comic in Britain. I don't. I hope he's still doing comic. He's sort of. He, he, he's an on-again, off-again comic. Uh, I've always found him really funny. His name's Pete Kane, and he used to have a really lovely bit about how easy it would be to be an inventor back in the day. Right. Like, just imagine being the first guy who discovered that wood floats. <laughs> <laughs> just standing there with a stick and a puddle and just check out. Guys. The possibilities are endless. <laughs> I invented the raft. Uh, but yeah, um... Hey Mia, while we're talking about discoveries in science, we like to uh, we like to ask our guests this before we get deep into the stories. What, if anything, is your background in science? And that ranges from classes you liked or didn't like as a kid to blowing stuff up in the woods with your friends. Ooh, let's see. So, um, I'm trying to think. My my high school days, I was pretty decent in um, what I liked biology, and cool. I liked. Um, and for, I don't. I was surprised, but this ended up happening that I did surprisingly well in chemistry because everybody kept telling me they're like, "You're gonna hate it. You're gonna hate it so much." But I actually, but I, but it, I put a lot of that on the, the teacher that I had. She was she was amazing. So I did pretty decently. I did really well in, in chemistry. I did not like um, what was it physics. Um, I was not. That was a, a science class that I was like, no, that- nope. That comes up so often, though. It's it's no. so frequent with people that we've asked that just one good teacher or one bad teacher can either turn someone on or off an entire subject for life. Yeah, yeah. And sorry, that's in- teachers, what listening to this as well? Like, sorry to put that pressure on you, <laughs> right? right now. Yeah. No, but she, yeah, my teacher, she was so she was just just you know she actually made it fun, and I looked forward to like, oh, I'm going to chemistry class today because chemistry is fun and i was not a i was not a math and science kind of kind of person i was always more of the oh it's you know english and history and all that kind of stuff like that was the that was where i did really really well but i like for a couple of years in high school like science i was killing it then when i got to college um things things took a turn (laughs) so um they they did not what is it? I think I took a geology class that, and you know what, this this one was my fault because I just didn't go, so that's why it was hard. <laughs> so that was that was on me. I cannot blame, cannot blame the University of Georgia for that. That was my fault. So that I take was, full responsibility. What was your major? <laughs> my major was speech communication. So just talking all the damn time. That was it. Nice. I mean, you're talking. using your. What percentage of people use their major? You know, that's pretty right, impressive. No, right. Thank you. Huh. I don't even know if I can say that. I mean, are we kind of right now, Matt, by having the podcast a little bit, right? Yeah, I think once we started this podcast, that is, and then the other associated sort of science adjacent things that have come off the back of us doing this podcast have been the most I've used my degree ever. So, but. Andy and I both have STEM degrees. Andy was engineering, <gasps> mine was mathematics. <gasps> but but then we did. I did nothing with it for well over a decade. Of just I was just telling jokes and writing and just bullshitting around the country. And then we started doing this podcast. And then it's sort of, you know it it pop it bubbles up. It has its uses. Definitely, yeah. I think I've, the, the most impressed. the most consistent writing work I've gotten has been the sort of overlap between science and comedy that has come from this podcast. So, really, thank you to our oh. listeners for uh, g- giving us that. I guess. And yeah. speaking speaking of listeners, um, Matt, we've gotten a few story suggestions from a listener named Colton Bond. I don't know if we've actually done any of his yet. I, I noticed um, this. there was one. Uh, the ancient cave hotel was the one that jumped out for me. Oh, you. Uh, I was going to talk about the election asteroid, but uh, either one. Well, we we can do that one. What would you rather? Wait, we can do both. We've got time. Why I mean, I just start off with your one. Since you're in DC, Mia, we should talk about. Have you heard about the a- election asteroid? You know what? I, I ran across it in passing, and then I went. You know what? There's so much happening right now that. Right. Right. Do I even want to look at this? 
I mean, so. I think you can you can be unafraid to look at it because it's probably not a big deal. At least NASA is saying the asteroid passing Earth before the election is real, but they aren't worried. Um, they say that the Michael Jordan-sized asteroid has a 0.41% chance of entering Earth's atmosphere. But Michael I didn't, I, when did we start measuring asteroids in Michael Jordans? That's the standard unit of asteroid measure. You didn't know that? That's... <laughs> I mean, well, predates I, the basketball player. It's oh, okay. That, well, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. In fact, coincidentally, so the basketball Jor- player ended up being one Michael Jordan tall. It's very coincidental, but yeah. That's very handy. So he is, he has a Michael Jordan value of one, one point right. zero. As well, does. Actually, uh, at what ahead. age of Michael Jordan are we measuring this from? Because obviously that, he's in his fifties now, so he he's probably, both a bit shorter, but probably a bit broader than he was at his playing peak yeah i mean i guess that's the thing about asteroid measurement is is it uh length or girth like what how do you what's the appropriate (laughs) way to has he stayed as constant volume michael jordan yeah let's just assume it's this asteroid is uh by one dimension equal to a 20 something michael jordan height and everything else is up for grabs based on current covid diet and other things for the asteroid and for michael jordan is that safe to assume for now? I think so. Okay. Okay. So anyhow, uh, this article on CNET, which is not the one Colton sent, but I thought we did this one instead. Um, so it's easy to look at 2020 and assume an asteroid coming in close to Earth this year will be just another disaster to add to the pile, but it's going to be okay, at least as far as asteroid 2018 VP1 is concerned. Uh, yes, it's scheduled to get uncomfortably close to Earth on November 2nd, the day before the U.S. election. Uh, it may even enter our atmosphere, but it doesn't herald doomsday. NASA Asteroid Watch, which keeps an eye on these space rocks, tweeted some reassurances on Sunday. They said it's very small, approximately 6.5 feet. Again, one Michael Jordan. Uh, it it poses, poses no threat to Earth. It currently has a 0.41% chance of entering our atmosphere. But if it did, it would disintegrate due to its extremely small size. But that's, I guess I don't understand. If, it, if, if I would think we know, you know, X number of Michael Jordans is safe because it will disintegrate and X plus one is not, you know, there's got to be, so why was anybody worried? Because yeah, two meters seems like the kind of thing that would burn up and be a cool meteor, you know, like a fireball, but not dangerous. But um, I don't know. Anyway, so it's uh, more impressive that they could even track something that small, like no offense to Michael Jordan. He's not, he's, he's quite a large by human standards. He's pretty big, but by asteroid standards, he's, I'd say quite diminutive and hard to spot when you're flying right, through space right. at several million miles an hour, whatever speed he's going at. Let alone a Muggsy Bogues asteroid, like that thing. Yeah, impossible to spot. A, yeah, that wouldn't be. But here's my question, though: like, if if Michael Jordan saw this article based on what I saw from him in the Last Dance, uh-huh. <laughs> he's going to take the size of that personally. Yeah, he's going to be very upset. He's not so. going to like this at all. Yeah. He's going to be like. Michael Jordan size? No, I'm bigger than that. Come on, I <laughs> yeah. took it personally. I, I think he's, like I think he's literally bigger than that because I I also watched the last dance and it was great and I'm fairly sure it mentions that his height was six six. Am I wrong about yes. that? Yes, he's six six. Yeah. Oh well, maybe so, the yeah, the unit might have been from when he was a teenager. They might have created this unit of asteroid right. measurement. Or now, because he's probably I'd say there's a fair chance he's lost about an inch of height since his playing. Yeah. Game. Yeah. Six six is not not that tall for such a star though. That's uh, well, that, like I that think was about a, that was a plot point in the last dance where one of the reasons he was late he was drafted a bit later or drafted surprisingly late given what he ended up doing was that they didn't think he could be as dominant as a as a tiny six foot sixer, which is absurd to say given he's oh, got a foot right. clearance on me. But then again, what's Steph Curry? He's only like an inch taller than me, I think. He's uh, he's six three. Jeez, oh my god, how could oh, what am I doing with my life? He's only got an inch on me, and he's doing all that. Yeah, there's still time, Andy. <laughs> right. But a six four wingspan. Okay, that's that's the reason. That's got to be the whole reason, <laughs> and nothing else. Yeah. I don't know what point, what size of basketball player we start to have to be really worried. Like, is is a Shaq scare? Like, is that dangerous? A, a Shaq steroid? Yeah, <laughs> I'd be worried think, about. But it. you know what? No, you shouldn't be because it would miss. It would, oh. it, it would not come to Earth at all. Nice, nice. <laughs> then I would end that up is. doing some ads for the general, and yeah. <laughs> that is a solid Shaquille O'Neal asteroid <laughs> <joke> there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> that 
that when I felt it. I was like, this feels right. This feels right. <laughs> so we can all rest easy. Uh, everything around election time is going to be great, according to NASA. <laughs> so everyone can just relax. Yeah, it'll be... I, I think it'll burn up in the atmosphere at best, and and then it'll just be sort of seen as a as an omen rather than just be a, <laughs> right. a sign of something. Which is, uh, you know, I, I talked I think a lot too much about how much stargazing I've been doing since. So Mia, I've been living in the desert for most of the quarantine, um, oh. and I got to see some of the Perseid meteor showers. And Matt, you said you didn't really see anything, right? Yeah, I couldn't see anything. I also, to be fair, didn't make a Did- huge effort to try and see stuff. Um, I mean, in I, LA, I it's a few pretty, years ago yeah. when I was further away from the city. But I still want to have somebody on who can talk to me about why uh, it just makes no sense when you have a meteor shower. You'd think they would all be somewhat parallel because we're like going through a cloud of debris that's burning up in our atmosphere, but there didn't seem to be any pattern to the directionality of it all. So that's for a future episode or for a listener to write in and explain why it seems like they are going every which way in the sky. Oh, no, that's a good question. We don't could get also, that. We've, we've got a couple of astronomers on call. We could yeah. probably message one of them and ask. That would be interesting for me, if if not our listeners. So we'll work on that. But um, Matt, did you have another story? Yeah, Where- so I'm going to... This is the other one that I thought we were going to do, which I, I like as a story as well. And this is from newatlas.com, which is not a website I've heard of before, but I'm just going to trust it's legitimate. Sure. <laughs> we'll judge it as the story goes on and just see how... It, it doesn't seem like a particularly fantastical story, so it doesn't... You know, it seems like a very plausible story. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing that a website that makes up science would have come up with. So yeah. ancient cave, quote, hotel. And it's put the hotel in in quotes. So it, it's not claiming to be a hotel. It's saying, like, this is analogous to a hotel. Right but places humans in the Americas 30,000 years ago. Which Damn. is... Damn. Yeah. It's generally believed that the Clovis people were the first humans to inhabit the Americas as long as 15,000 years ago. But now archaeologists have found evidence in a cave in Mexico that suggests humans visited as early as 30,000 years ago, although who they were and where they came from remains a mystery. For the better part of a century, archaeologists have consistently found stone tools that indicate human presence dating back between 11,000 and 13,000 years ago. These people were dubbed the Clovis culture after the town in New Mexico where the first artifacts were discovered. The Clovis people were believed to have crossed over a land bridge from Siberia to Alaska, which was dry at the time due to the Ice Age. Later, as the ice melted, they spread southwards through what is now Canada, the US, Mexico, and into South America. But in the last 20 years, evidence has begun piling up to indicate that humans may have arrived in North and South America even earlier, a recent excavation at a dig site in Texas was dated to be potentially as old as 20,000 years. And now, now the story may begin even earlier than that. A new study describes an archaeological dig... 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 Okay, this is... Here's what happened here. The very next word is something that I knew I was going to screw up. It's, you don't have to. It's fine. Yeah. So I, I already knew I was going to get the next word very wrong. And so my worry about that made me mispronounce dig, the three-letter word. It's a British thing. We get it. It's fine. The three-letter word dig. Um, Chiquihite Cave is where the... that's it. Dig, got it. Yeah. So that that's, right. that's where that dig took place. <laughs> That's where the, all the archaeologists were digging with their digging tools, with their tools. Uh, that is in northern Mexico, where evidence suggests human occupation as far back as 30,000 years ago. There's a photo here of a... There's no way I would have identified this as a tool. It looks like a tiny, sharp piece of rock. It's, it's in someone's hand, and it's, it's such a macro photo that you can see that person's fingerprints quite clearly. <laughs> Yeah, I could identify them at a crime scene now, yeah. Yeah, you can very easily. When did when did fingerprinting start? I'm just now going back to the oceans. Right, who invented that? Uh, I feel like, am I crazy to think it was around, like, J. Edgar Hoover times, like the founding of the Cause, FBI? Because I'm just I trying to think uh, how far back could you get away with almost any crime? Because one of the things, I watched the Michael Jordan documentary, but also we just finished watching I'll Be Gone in the Dark, the documentary based on... Michelle oh. book and it's all about, oh. yeah and it's great it's a six-part series and it, you know it was you know he just got convicted it was all uh, across the news and That's so crazy uh, but 
the thing that finally tracked them down. We we talked about it on the show actually a while ago. Was DNA evidence, and but the reason there was so much DNA evidence to work with was because he committed his crimes pre DNA being a thing, mm-hmm. uh, or at least pre DNA evidence being a thing. DNA existed prior. Like DNA has been around for probably d- decades as a thing. Sorry. I mean, maybe even longer. <laughs> you know, we might, we might even find out in time that living things had DNA as far back as like the 1800s. So I don't I, know. I don't know about that. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, when he was committing his crimes, he, he was going into the kitchen when, once the people were tied up and he was just eating stuff from their fridge. Oh. and. God. You know, all sorts of stuff that you would never do now if you were trying well, you to. You wouldn't do. If you, yeah, if you were trying to be a successful criminal, if you were trying to, if you were trying to murder someone and get away with it, you probably wouldn't want to just be like leaving half-drunk cans of coke on the no. counter. Yeah. And doing Not all that kind all. of stuff. But yeah, back in the day, you could, you could. Uh, he he didn't know. Poor thing. <laughs> He didn't, he didn't know that decades later there'd be all evidence, his, DNA evidence. All his um, reckless snacking. I know. It seemed like, in the grand scheme of things, once you've killed somebody, like having a snack seems like, oh yeah, I can, I can do this. It's like, yeah, the least you of know, my. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think that that would be your undoing, but yeah, I think there was DNA from that, and there was DNA from his other crime. There was lots of DNA from multiple yeah. different sources. Did he also have any stone tools that he had made? Rudimentary? Um, I don't believe so. And he didn't oh. have any really zoomed in photos of them in a in an archaeologist's hand. But okay. these people did. These people, 25 and 30,000 years ago, weren't thinking about that. They weren't thinking, they weren't giving two hoots about who might discover their stone tools uh, 30 millennia later. Yeah, jeez. Over the past 10 years of excavation, scientists have recovered almost 2,000 stone tools and fragments. By analyzing the tools and the DNA and the sediment around them, the researchers were able to date them to between 25 and 30,000 years ago. The team found DNA from a range of plants and animals, including black bears, rodents, bats, voles, and kangaroo rats. Interestingly, though, no human DNA was found, suggesting the owners of these tools didn't stick around for long periods. Wait, well, I... is that all that it suggests? Because yeah. <laughs> I think we're all thinking the same thing right now. Aren't yeah, we? Right. Yeah. Yeah. The kangaroo rats have been making tools. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Who says a vole can't make an arrowhead? We don't know, just because they don't today. Yeah. Well, the, the tool is way too small for a bear to be using, just judging by the photo. So I think okay. we're really having to narrow it down. It could be the bats with could their little bats. bat fingers. Imagine how scary a bat with an arrowhead in its claws flying through the night sky, just slashing throats as it goes. Oh, that just... This so, is so much. Isn't it? The team found DNA from a range of plants and animals, including these... Uh, oh, sorry, I'm just repeating the same paragraph there. I was too, I was too taken aback by that. By that. <laughs> That image of bats with their tools. These early visitors, here we go, says Professor Eski Vilaslev, who's the co-lead researcher on the study. These early visitors didn't occupy the cave continuously. We think people spent part of the year there using it as a winter or summer shelter or as a base to hunt during migration. This could be America's oldest, the America's oldest ever hotel. Mm. Hotel. So that's what they mean by a hotel. It is a, I, I say more of a holiday home. Yeah, or like a, a. Sorry, what are you gonna uh, say, Mia? No, no, so they just spent a summer there. It's yeah. just a yeah, just. It's like a cabin, like their summer, their holiday home. Their cave, summer. Yeah, caveman VRBO, which is what I'm doing right now. Not caveman, but I'm currently in Michigan, um, at, at the at the beach in Lake Michigan with my um my oh, it's one of my nephews walking in right there. Uh, with my p- parents, brothers, <laughs> sisters-in-law, and nephews. Uh, last night of our of our trip here, but yeah, I'm sure we're doing just as the cavemen did thirty thousand years ago. Yeah, just you know, hanging out, keeping an eye out for armed bats swooping over you. I'm guessing they also played Rummy Cube, right? Yeah, is In it Rummy Cube? I always thought it was Rummy Cub. Uh, maybe we're mispronouncing it. But we've always said Cube. I don't know if it's, it seems I, I don't like know. Icelandic. I don't know. I if no you know, listeners, write in. You've got two things to fill us in. Our listeners are very good at correcting us on things. Yes. And they're very well informed. I know we've got some gamer listeners, and I know we've got some astronomers in there. So let us know why the meteor showers come from different angles, and let us know how to correctly pronounce that game, please. 
We very much appreciate you. So this team says the discovery will likely require a rewrite of the history of humans inhabiting the Americas, but at the moment we don't really know much about these early inhabitants. We don't know who they were, where they came from, or where they went, says Cyprian Aradeline, who is the co-lead author of the study. They are a complete enigma. By the time the famous Clovis population entered America, the very early Americans had disappeared thousands of years before. There could have been many failed colonizations that were lost in time and did not leave genetic traces in the population today. As big a leap as this new study represents, it is still a bit easier to swallow than the other more controversial studies which have suggested that humans arrived in North America as early as 130,000 years ago. I did not know that. Regardless, the... further excavations and analyses should help uncover more pieces of the puzzle. It's a pretty big jump, 130,000 compared to what 15 is accepted? Yeah. Date? Yeah. Very much so. Also, by the way, I am... I'm counting newatlas.com as a legitimate source. Oh, Just, good. That's good. Once we've done the story, it's good that it's not yeah, a... Yeah, um, I've read through the story. It has a link at the end to the article in Nature, which is a proper journal. Right. And it and also, it has. it's a well-written article that didn't have any horrible grammatical flubs other than the ones I put in there myself. And... Didn't have too many puns or... Uh, yeah. Started with no... Uh, you might... When you think hotel, you might think of uh, checking in receptionist. Uh, but 30,000 years ago, they had a different kind of... Uh, this arrowhead came with a do not disturb sign that lasted for 30,000 years until uh, researchers... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good work, Michael Irving, author of this article. No they relation maybe to... had a mini bar through their nose. <laughs> God. <laughs> Oh my god, that's the worst. Uh, well, this is a, definitely a, a very eye-opening thing to h think that humans were on this continent uh, maybe 15,000 years earlier. You know what else is eye-opening, Matt? I don't, Andy. Is it a link to a story that we're going to cover? <laughs> or is it the fact that uh, if you want your eyes to be open to a lot of great information, we have a sponsor who we've talked about before on this podcast uh, who you be can great use courses plus it would be the great courses plus yes we're big fans of this service um they have so many they have nearly countless although our mathematical listeners would know that, that it's not truly countless but like a very large number of courses on pretty much any subject um and uh you can watch these as video presentations or listen to them as podcasts they're taught by top professors um if you in fact mia name a subject you're interested in i'm just going to type it into the great courses plus and see if they have a, a lecture on it uh, let's see what am i interested in let's go with um um you know since since we're doing science stuff um here for science things i did i left this out earlier i liked um i liked um astronomy too as a kid oh i know there are astronomy courses here because we have i have yeah, watched we've, we've parts done of a few and also i wonder if there is one about meteor showers i'm now looking this up there if you want just a basic there's high school science which includes that there's an entire course called radio astronomy observing the invisible universe there's an entire course on the remarkable science of ancient astronomy. If you want to know about uh, in earlier cultures like Stonehenge and archaeoastronomy, which I didn't know was a field, but there's a whole one of the lectures on this series is about that. There's one about um, the astronomy of Egypt's Great Pyramid. Right here, ancient. by the way. I knew they'd have it in the course Our Night Sky, which, Andy, you should probably do if you've been sky watching out in the I, desert. Where of course you I should. You've got much better access to... You should also, by the way, the Airbnb that we stayed in a few months ago in Joshua Tree around the corner from yours had a telescope. And I think that's a... Uh... Matt, I'm on top of you. I'm ahead of you in this one, but so is the entire world. Turns out anything that you might do more of because of COVID is sold out for months on Amazon. So uh... any, any, any telescope that's above a, like, you know, child's level... Any like two hundred dollar or more telescope is like backordered for two months because everyone's stuck at home and everyone has the same idea. <laughs> like I'm going to take up these ha hammocks tripled in price. The hammock I had in my backyard was a hundred dollars before COVID. Now it's three hundred to get the same one. Um, so yes, I want to get a telescope, but more importantly, I want to keep watching courses on the Great Courses Plus. Before we go any further, we should remind listeners: if you go to thegreatcoursesplus.com/slash/probably, you'll get a free trial. You can check out any of these courses. So if you're also a backyard astronomer, you yeah. can. Um, so this. What's well, this course is called Our Night Sky, taught by Dr. Edward M. Murphy, and 
episode or lecture number six is meteor showers, comics, eclipses, and more. I'm very much hoping that'll have our answer. Yes, I'm going to check that out. If it if it doesn't, I'm going to send an angry. You know, I'm sure it will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our night sky. Yeah, we we love them. They're they're top level courses taught at university standards by lecturers who are both experts in their field and have been chosen for their quality of communication. Uh, we love them. We use them a lot. Go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably for a free trial. So, Matt, you sent in a story. I guess sent in is the wrong word. You reminded yeah. both of us that maybe we could talk about a story. <laughs> this, about the reason. this story comes from listener Matt Kirshen. <laughs> uh, about the reason why songbirds are so damn loud, which shows that we're both getting old, if this is a complaint that we have. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind what they do, just I don't want it all in my uh, face. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. With their their baggy pants and their, their rock and roll music and their, these birds. Uh, yeah, so the reason why songbirds sing so loud is because they're warming up, according what? to a study. Right. That's uh, yeah. Researchers have found that when song sparrows chirp loudly outside your window in the wee hours of the morning, they're really just practicing. And like the best crooners, they sing better after they've had a chance to loosen their voice. So a team from Duke University tested this hypothesis by measuring the vocal performance of 11 swamp sparrows, examining the vocal deviation in more than 1,500 songs recorded by the birds. What they found is that as the day goes on, the birds' vocal performance generally improved, meaning they were able to produce more physically challenging songs. I didn't know there were different levels of <laughs> challenging birds. <laughs> uh, still, like when, may- when you're on the sort of bird X factor and the judges are like, oh, this one's... <laughs> Oh, you're doing a Mariah? Yeah. Okay. Let's get see little, how this one goes. Get a little pitchy, dog. Yeah. Um, still, males who produced a lot of songs had more variability in their vocal performance, which suggests that some birds might get tired when singing. The study what? was published last month in the journal Animal Behavior. As it turns out, vocal performance, ha- quote, has serious consequences for swamp sparrows, said Jason Din, a biology PhD student at Duke and the study's lead author. Older and larger males tend to sing higher performance songs. Hmm. Uh, He wrote this in an email to CNN. Furthermore, high-performance songs are more attractive to females and more intimidating to rival males. I mean, this is just true across the board, right? If you nail a karaoke version of of a Queen song or something, yeah. Where where does it stand on birds singing songs, like, badly, but with a lot of confidence? (laughs) You know, just, like, really, like, hey, I know I'm not a good bird singer, but how much charisma is this? Like a guy who just... Who only signs up a karaoke night to do like songs by Cake or George Thorogood, where it's like, it's not really singing, it's sort of talking in rhythm, you know? Like, it's... But he's on the table and he's like, right. you know, walking around and flirting with the older women and just like putting the microphone in people's faces. You know, yeah. it's just a show. It's a show. Sure. It works for some people. It's just what kind of bird you want to attract is the question at the end of the day. Yes, it's going to work for some birds, but. Yeah. Mia, are you a karaoke person? This, you know, I'm still just fascinated about this, that they're singing complex songs like um, I can't. But but uh, yeah, I have. Um, I've done karaoke before. I have. It's been it's been a while, but I'm 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 usually not the person that's like, oh, let me go do it because I've seen too many where people have they're super serious about it. And, I'm, and it feels like they're just bragging, you know, well, it's yeah. supposed to be fun. You know, that's I've seen definitely the people a thing that scream. Totally. Yeah. I think that's definitely a thing if you're in LA or New York where you're just like, I, I'm not I'm not a big karaoke fan anyway but my you know a lot of people in my immediate group of people I love hanging out with are <laughs> I'm not against it yeah one of them is the other host of the podcast <laughs> I, mean, uh, I don't I don't love it I just I, I don't think it's the worst thing I, I think it has a, no. a time and a place but you you, you enjoy yeah. getting you'll sign up you'll be eagerly up there whereas I will but, not I'll be just drinking and enjoying my friends getting up there and right. having a good time but definitely it's more fun when you get a bit outside LA like when we've gone up to Joshua Tree or something like that and it's just been the locals bar mm. whereas in LA you feel like people are auditioning yeah there was a there was a um there was one restaurant in atlanta i just happened to be there one time after a show and i just heard somebody just belting and they were like oh no no this is every week they were like this is this is what we do here and i was like (laughs) right this is not fun karaoke this is is serious like like these people have pipes like they're really singing hard (laughs) you know and i was like oh well 
I guess this isn't going to be a fun. Like, I just have to watch because I can't do this. Yeah, Don't have it's, feels. it's just upsetting. It's a, what's when the they line get on stage with... in LA and then someone's like, yeah, she like she tours with Gladys Knight. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing then? What are you doing coming up? Why are you here? You could be in the studio somewhere. But I mean, what would you rather have happen? Like, how bad does someone have to be before you're like, now I enjoy this? You know, <laughs> like, I don't, it's such a counterintuitive thing. Well, no, I think, I think you sort of, you want, there's a sweet spot, I think, between, you know, you, you also don't want, like, person after person who's just destroying, <laughs> just ruining your right. ears. I don't want to see really, and I'll, I'll, yeah, I don't want to see a bunch of back to back good people and then, and then a bunch of back-to-back bad. Like I need, I need to see somebody that's just like, I know I'm mediocre and I'm going to have a good time. Yeah. I, like think, that's, I think that's that means you just, you just have to, if you're in LA, you just have to go a little bit farther into like the valley or something. And then you'll get a mix of some ringers. But then like the upside, a defensive karaoke in LA, chances are if you go out enough, you're going to see and or perform with Mr. Belding from Saved by the Bell. <laughs> are you serious? No. Oh, I have shared a microphone with him. No. Like, oh, brother, where art thou style? I have been on a mic with Dennis Haskins doing the backing vocals to The Weight by the band. Um, yeah, he's not the best singer, but he loves it. And he just he's just the Valley Bar, bar fly. He, yeah. he also loves pro wrestling because I have watched SummerSlam with him. <laughs> He's are you, are you both just running in circles with him? Like, are you just in the <laughs> same? Like, you, oh, yeah, you, didn't, you didn't know this is a purely a Save by the Bell name dropping podcast? <laughs> yeah, I, did. I, I also, no I also oh. I'm not even kidding, go to the same CrossFit gym as Zach Morris. He hasn't been there in a while, but a few oh, years back, he would go. My God. That is. <laughs> No I'm just, I don't even, this is, this is too much for me. It's too, it's just, it's, Sorry. I can't even believe it. I'm all like, oh my God, no, no, it's exciting. I mean, I love it. I got back surgery. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you, what are you going to say? I got back surgery advice from uh, Nitro from American Gladiators. He also goes to my <laughs> CrossFit gym. I gotta, I gotta come to LA and, yeah. and do CrossFit. Like, <laughs> this, this is obviously what I need to be doing with my life. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're too busy going off on tour with Amy Schumer to meet anyone famous. You know, <laughs> right. Like uh, right. I'm missing out. Does, <laughs> does Amy ever take drag you out to a karaoke night? I don't know if she's a singer or not. No, no. She, um, no, we were, when we were the tour, she was, that's, that's, she was pregnant on the tour. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah. So you can't we, sing with a baby. Yeah. You can't sing. No, no. Anyway, but we, um, I mean, you probably could, but I mean, probably, <laughs> I mean, I, who, I don't know. But um, no, we just kind of like everything we did was just anything post show was always like we were just like eating snacks or like <laughs> it would be like, hey, nice. guys, we ordered food or hey, we're going to. But it wasn't a no, we no karaoke. But I think because yeah. we were traveling so much, everybody was just like, nah, I want to go to my room. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> it does wipe you out going on those. There's been a couple of times in my life that I've been on like a tour tour where you're part of this bigger machine and it just and you think you're going to have so much time because you don't have to do anything because you're not you're not doing your own checking into flights and you've got the bus sometimes or you're like, you know, someone's organizing everything and you're in a nice hotel and then you just, it just suddenly realize that you're at the end of the tour and two months have gone and you've done nothing. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that's how a lot of it was. Or it would be like, you know, or somebody would text and we go, OK, yeah, OK, you know how we told you we were leaving at one. OK, well, we're not leaving at f- until four now. And then you're like, okay, what do I, you know? So it's just kind of like, do I do something? And then if I start doing a thing, I'm not going to have time. So just kind of sit and hang. Yeah. But uh, what you could be doing is analyzing birdsong. Could be a bird judge. These these higher performance songs that are more attracted to females and more intimidated to rival males that tend to come out of older and larger males. So by... (laughs) That that's so predictable as well. Even birds are like the bigger and older God. the male, the more they have to show off with their sort of flashy sports car of a voice. So they're by, just singing my way. It's just, it comes back to the rat pack like, again. That's all I can think about was yeah, yeah. Frank Sinatra as a bird. Like that's it. Yeah, yeah. Just like one one older Korean bird that's in the corner, really <laughs> nailing every Sinatra song. That's that's LA karaoke. There's always yeah. one old Korean man who just re- who has a remarkably good voice and just does Sinatra every week. 
Well, that's that one bar downtown that Seth MacFarlane always takes over, right? Uh, in Koreatown. Oh, is that? I forgot the name. of There's one karaoke bar that used to be great before. It was just like a Koreatown karaoke bar, dive bar. I forgot what it's called. It's near where RFK was shot. Sorry, that's a horrible way to know where oh. things are. But I, I forgot the name of it. But, oh, Brass Monkey, I think, or something with monkey in the name. But um, Seth MacFarlane, I think, now goes there and just sort of like pays to like have the run of the place the night and no one else can get a song in. So that was a few years back. I don't know if that still happens. but Wait, so he's just... Sorry, oh, man. I'm sorry. No, I, no, I was like he's taken over just to sing. Yeah, oh, he loves to. Sing. He's got a. He's got an album also oh. of like croonery stuff. Like he can, you know, he's got. A, he's a great voice guy. He can also. Oh yeah, he provided a few songs into singer. the Oscars when he was hosting it. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's that's a weird thing to do when you're a, a hundred hundred millionaire or maybe a billionaire. Now. I don't know how rich he is, but he's very rich. Yeah, so it's like you could you could have your own karaoke bar. He does. And instead, just like taking it over <laughs> someone else's. Just dropping several hundred to just yeah, muscle everyone out of the list. That's what he did. But oh wait, so uh, this article though, interesting thing about the w- what makes a song challenging for a bird. Yeah, what is a challenging songbird song? So it says uh, for swamp sparrows, songs were physically challenging if they were trilled rapidly and hit a wide range of pitches. Uh, those factors depend on how quickly a bird can move its beak and how wide it can open it. Um, but the researchers have learned that the intense singing of songbirds at dawn is because they're warming up. They still don't know exactly why it makes their singing improve. Why does warm-ups make anybody? I don't know. Um, let's see. Uh, warming up is helpful for people because they, in both singing and exercising, because it increases the temperature of the muscles. Um, warming up before singing can also help hydrate our vocal cords. Uh, but uh, Din said it's also entirely possible that the case could be different in birds. It's difficult to make direct comparisons to warming up in birds because their sound producing mechanisms are so different from ours. However, it's possible that the general benefit of literally warming up the sound producing muscles and tissues could apply to birds as well. Wow. So at the end of the day, bird songs should be way better and more complicated than shitty early morning ones. So in the morning, they're just bellowing. They're just doing their scales and they're... <laughs> And then by the end of the day, they've written a full track. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that is, I am, I didn't know that my day would be better for this song, bird information, <laughs> but it is like, I'm so excited about this. It's very useful to your everyday life. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, listen, I would, if, if it was an answer in a trivia thing, I would be so excited. Right. Like, yeah, I would. Yeah. This, this, this is this. I, I like this. I dig it. I just speaking of trivia, Ocean's Eleven reminded me of a trivia thing I learned recently, which is that uh, Catch Twenty Two was originally going to be called Catch Eleven, but he didn't want it to be uh, oh. confused with Ocean's Eleven, so he's like, "I'll just double it." Oh, get out of here! Yeah, I did that not was like know a that. final Jeopardy question was something along those lines a few That's years a nice back. Fun or something. Back. Yeah. Um, Matt, do you have another story? Well, to close I might things do. Out? I might do this microbe story that was sent in by listener Matt Kirshen. <laughs> <laughs> Loyal listener Matt Kirshen. Sorry to heavily favor this listener, but he's been loyal. He's, he's been with us loyal. right from the beginning. Yeah. Episode one, I think he, he joined us and he's been there. <laughs> yeah, he's come to every live show we've done. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I think he's actually the only one who's come to every live show we've done. <laughs> Ooh. Wait a second. Oh, oh. No, because I'm trying to think. Has there been a live show I wasn't... Oh, no. There was. There, there one was, there was one that I did at Convergence Con in oh, Minneapolis. damn you. About damn you. six or seven years ago. That's right. I was doing a stand-up set, and we also did a live podcast. So, Ugh. yeah, I, I believe so, but... I don't know, you might have done more episodes than me, because I think I've been away for some more of the studio records than you have. I'm not sure. Yeah, early early days, it was it was just Brooks and myself for a few, but... Um, That's right, yeah, it was, there was I've a period for that. when I was in London, and you guys just did some without me. So, Japanese scientists say they have revived microbes that were in a dormant state for more than 100 million years. This sounds like something that will go well. Mm-hmm. The yeah. tiny organisms have survived in the South Pacific seabed in sediment that is poor in nutrients but has enough oxygen to allow them to live. Microbes are among the Earth's simplest organisms, and some can live in extreme environments where the more 
developed life forms cannot survive. After incubation by the scientists, the microbes began to eat and multiply. The research was led by the Japan Agency for Marine Earth Sciences and Technology and published in the journal Nature Communications, according to this BBC article. So lead author Yuki Morono said, When I found them, I was first skeptical whether the findings are from some mistake or failure in the experiment. We now know there is no age limit for organisms in the sub-seafloor biosphere. And the co-author, Stephen Dont from the University of Rhode Island, said, The microbes came from the oldest samples taken from the seabed. In the oldest sediment we've drilled, he said, with the least amount of food, there are still living organisms, and they can wake up, grow, and multiply. Previous studies have shown how bacteria can survive in harsh places, including around undersea vents that are devoid of oxygen. Mr. Morono said the new finding shows that some of Earth's simplest living structures do not actually have the concept of lifespan. Damn. Yeah. That's an interesting way of putting it. It doesn't have the concept. It just doesn't know. It, it does. It, you only die. It's like a Looney Tunes thing. If it looked down after you jump off a cliff, yeah. like you only die if you start thinking about the possibility of death. This one doesn't even know the meaning of the word lifespan. Right. A hundred million years. I just feel like eventually I'd just be tired. I don't know. It's a long time to live. But but why now? Why this? Why wake them up to this? You know? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point of all the years too. <laughs> like, why, are we doing, why are we doing this now? Like they could have just they could have waited until next year. You know, maybe. Or, yeah, whenever things are... Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's see what happens with this Michael yeah. Jordan flyby. This is purposeful. This is purposeful, and they're doing this to stir up some things. That's what this was. This is a... Let's just see what happens. Who knows what this might form into and kill us, right. you know, on land. Ugh. You know what's interesting though, Matt. Ever since we worked on um, not to talk about other projects, but um, we we wrote for a thing called Celebrity Substitute that was like a COVID-specific YouTube original where we had people like Bill Nye joining an actual high school teacher via Zoom to t teach some subject. And uh, a part of Bill Nye's episode used an analogy of like looking at a, a cross-country journey across the U.S. as as an analogy for the age of the Earth. And the Earth is what 4.5 billion years old. So every kilometer is about um, a thousand years. Wait, 4,500 kilometers. No, I'm sorry, a million. Every kilometer is a million years. Is that right, Matt? Am I, am I about right? Uh, I think so. <laughs> Hold that, on a second. That feels right. Billion, 4,500 Yes, okay. Um, so, you know, it, and it was a really useful thing because we had to like do so many iterations of this script that it, it, it burrowed into my skull. So now I can think about things in terms of like where, like if you were going from like Boston to LA, hundred million years ago is a long time ago, but it's, it's really like probably not even in Nevada. It's probably still in California on that journey, you know? Wow. Like it's less than a 40th of the age of the earth. So it is a long time ago, but also like not that, that that long ago and the first uh like singular single cell organisms appeared i think within the first one and a half billion years of earth's existence so like uh uh more than 10 times farther back in time than these things which are still amazing that they're alive 100 million years to be alive is, is a long time but, right, Matt, you're silent. Am I wrong on my math? Is that why? <laughs> no, I was. I, I I was just messaging an astronomer right now with oh. our, with your meteor shower question because it reminded me to do it. And I just thought, I thought I will send off a message to one of our go-to astronomers and see if I got a response. Yeah, I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna be like a, a a guy who has to know things about the night sky as people come out to visit the desert. Like I can't just point at things anymore and be like, I don't know. I have to when things happen. I have to be like, yeah, this is because. We're passing through this cloud or whatever, and because uh, um, I looked up the Perseid meteor showers, I still don't understand it. I know it has to do with the, the tail of a comet, but I don't get why that would be an annual thing and why it, it never moves out of our way or what. Yeah, and why it seems like historically they say it's the Perseids because it's supposed to look like all the meteors are emanating from where Perseus, the constellation, is in the night sky. But why would that be consistent? Like. Anyway, unrelated to the microorganism topic. Um, all right, I have sent that question <laughs> off. 
<laughs> Thank you. Why, why do why meteor showers seem to come from all directions? Why don't they come from the same place at roughly the same angle when Earth is moving through the cloud in a constant direction? Or they no, wouldn't even look. Uh, parallax would make them look like they're not going the same direction, but they should at least like share a vanishing point, as like parallel lines do when they're you know, right? Uh, Does that make sense? Why don't they? Okay, yes. Yeah. Why don't they? You don't have to type it now. I just. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the multitasking. <laughs> I, and I'm like, I want the answer to this thing. I really I do. need it now. It doesn't <laughs> like, make sense to me. All right. Sent. I'll let you know. I'll let you know probably. It, I don't think we're going to get an answer before next week. But Yeah. that's It could be an on-air answer we do at some point. Now I should have this. sent it off at the beginning of the episode to see if I had something to report back. Oh. <laughs> I'd rather just have that person zoom in with or use, you know, uh, do the conferencing in with us, though. Yeah. In we'll see future. what happens. We, yeah. we'll, we'll, see, we'll see if we get a response. And if not, also, if we get a response from one of our go-to, um, one of our listeners who also probably has a good answer for that. I'm sure somebody, someone must know this. It's one of those things that there's no way isn't, uh, yeah, this, this can't be one of the mysteries of, of the science world. Uh, but yeah, I, I also apologize for missing all of your arithmetic just then, Andy. Well, I was, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I was all, I was, all I was trying to say was 100 billion years, super long time, but also then again, compared to even just the history of the Earth, and even compared to the history of life on Earth, not the craziest, craziest, longest time, but a super long time. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's pretty... Um, uh, yeah, I guess, it, I guess it's a pretty... Uh, I mean, it's still, I don't know. <laughs> it's still 100 million years. It's a long time it's ago. Still, it's still 100 million years is like longer than probably any of us will be around. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Like, we'll see. At, what, at what point do you reckon every trace of you will be gone? Like, mm. well, there's no, I don't know how there's long, no you know, creating, but the, at an elemental level, every part of you is going to just become other things. So like, what do you mean? Well, I, sorry, I mean, I mean more sort of at what point in the future will anyone be able to look back and detect, detect anything that is uniquely you, whether that's something that you physically left behind or something that you have left behind in terms of like recorded material, digital, digital, anything like that. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, that depends what how long you think civilization will last. Like, I don't think we're going to have a case where we somehow lose all digital records of humanity and not also lose all of humanity so i don't know but, you, but also just you know websites digital records of stuff disappear after just websites die and then they just get what you know just things that you think will last then eventually like myspace for example everything i wrote my, my myspace page still technically exists but no trace of anything that i wrote on it nothing i posted none of the videos i uploaded they're all gone because they just they had a reboot and it's just disappeared, right. and hmm. same goes for any of the messages that I sent to anyone or received from anyone on MySpace. They're gone, um, and you know people's wherever their blogs are. You know at some point that website will go, and then those servers will go, and then that'll disappear. Um, eventually, the books that you've written something down in hard copy will disappear. And I, um, so yeah, I, I Matt, are you doing okay? Yeah, because <laughs> I just I got scared. This is, this is... This is all scared me. I'm like, oh. You know, I think that's fine. That's just how how it is. But but then also there'll be little traces of stuff that you've said or put into the world that will have, you know, like, I guess memes is the, the, in the original original sense sense of the word, right. Will survive in terms of like pieces of ideas, pieces of information will, that will survive through the generations in some kind of, it'll be mutated but something you say might still exist in something that you originated might still exist in the world decades after or even centuries after any traces of your actual writing or pictures or anything like that have gone. Right. But I mean, it's possible that in the next, you know, 10, 20 years, there'll be some huge leap forward in storage capacity such that it's not even an issue. Like no one will have to waste any time worrying about backing anything up anywhere because there's so, so much storage available but then again it's also possible that we start creating so much like i forgot what the mm-hmm. actual what, what the estimate of how much data humans create in a day is but it's just this mind-boggling you know i, I wouldn't be able to guess within correct orders of magnitude like it's so much but 
you know, maybe there's a point when storage is, is just trivially easy, so nothing has to get lost until we destroy ourselves in whichever way we do. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, is that too much of a downer? Just, it's just, probably a ways off. It's probably I'm a like, ways man. Off. Yeah, this is. Well, I think my new plan is to get to the bottom of the ocean and just hang out there. <laughs> yeah, just wait a hundred million years, see what happens. Uh, but no, I, I feel like even right now, like a lot of things are are pretty. Like even just the Wayback Machine is a pretty impressive thing. That how much of the internet is just archived via that project. I don't know how much space that takes, but if you want to find a defunct website or what a site looked like on a certain date, you can go to that one page and... That's true. So that stuff will be preserved. And I think I'm probably going to get some of my better tweets etched onto copper plating. Sure. <laughs> sent, sent into an interstellar probe, like the Voyager record. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Just some Mia, of the how real, <laughs> real zingers. This just, and this, this is all just scared me because I was just thinking, like I was having a conversation with someone yesterday about whether or not I write material in notebooks or save it, you know, somewhere right. online. And then yesterday I was so confident where I was like, I will always have Google Docs. And then today I'm like, maybe I won't now after this conversation. Well, I'm I mean, like, maybe it's all gone forever. Maybe. It's funny because like, it's I, gone. this is a weird tangent to go down. But like, yeah, I've heard about like the cost of digital preservation of um, film, film prints is higher than, um, than of, uh, you know, like to maintain a, a film, like a physical film of a movie, uh, you need like a temperature control. It's a pretty expensive right. thing. But su surprisingly, digital, at least a couple years ago, was more expensive because of the amount of like backups you have to do. Because obviously, if you ever lose that, it's just gone. Either way, if you lose it, it's gone. But like right. some stuff's not intuitive in terms of like digital isn't always as reliable as you think compared to other. No, now I got to yeah. put everything back in notebooks. I, I don't thought I just solved my notebook problem. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can trust Google Docs about as long as you can trust, uh, I don't know, Western civilization at this point. Yeah, which maybe maybe you got a year or two left. <laughs> Who knows? So, Who knows? You know. I, I, I really didn't mean to bring something back to such a no, unique thing. No, at the end of the no I needed to hear it. I needed I thought to be, be like recentered. A I thought it'd be like a fun little diverting question that we could just end up, here's a little quirky thing that we could end the episode on. <laughs> when are you totally right from the planet? Really <laughs> contemplate their mortality. Right. I just, I just, it really got me thinking. I was like, I don't know if I don't have a will. You know, just a lot of things just now. I was like, it's a lot of, I was like, I'm not, my life isn't in order. I was like, I don't have anything to leave anybody. Oh, I'm like, I have nothing. Like my it's, life is in shambles. It's sort of freeing to think that like, worrying about a legacy is like the dumbest thing because at the end of the day in a hundred years <laughs> no, you know right. so it's, it's freeing though so don't don't worry you're about right. a legacy like, yeah. you're right you're right what about you're right right who yeah i don't have anything to maybe it, no, it no one mean, wants my google docs it doesn't mean nothing matters <laughs> it doesn't mean nothing matters and don't treat people well it just means like don't you know don't worry about like oh what's history going to think of me is like well definitely in 200 right. years history is not going to think about you so don't they're worry. not going to think of me at all yeah. but that's, that's unless free. i do you're something dramatic you're right <laughs> yeah yeah i think i'm fine you're right all there's right. still time to go on the x factor you know you could still i can get some bird tracks together and yeah <laughs> mia uh in the meantime where can our listeners find out the things you've already put into the world Oh, gosh, let's see. Well, you know, I had a thing on Epics a couple of years ago on this. Uh, it came out in 2018. It's called Unprotected Sets, S-E-T-S. And you can get it on Epics. And then um, in um, 2019, my Comedy Central Half Hour came out. And so that's still, if you go to the you know Comedy Central app, to the website, you can see my Half Hour special. And there's a bunch of clips of it on YouTube as well. And, and you can find it on Facebook where people are judging and what i'm wearing and going i don't like her outfit so um <laughs> and then other than that i'm on instagram and twitter at mia comedy so yeah awesome. i'm out here check those all out you can find us at probablyscience.com that's also where we post all of the stories we cover in the show notes and also where our patreon and paypal donation buttons are thank you very much everyone who supports us through that and by spreading the word and tweeting and all those kind of good things you can find us on twitter at probably science individually at andy t wood and at matt kershon and you got anything else we need to plug um not that i can talk about just yet but maybe in the future 
little okay, teaser. Okay, exciting. <laughs> I think I have an idea what that might be, and yeah. he's hoping that's a fun thing that you can plug at some point in the future. But in the meantime, Mia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It was fun. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you, and we'll see you next time. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.